we can all benefit by becoming more resilient. Whether you naturally have a lot or you naturally have a little, we can all actually improve that and get better at resilience. Welcome to Office Hours by Business Class from American Express. Each episode features innovative entrepreneurs and experts discussing how to navigate today's business challenges. That was Bonnie St. John, leadership expert, president of the Blue Circle Leadership Institute, and best-selling author of Micro Resilience. In this episode, she coaches us through science-backed hacks for renewing our focus, energy, and drive when we need it most. Recorded during our live Office Hours Q&A, our conversation is guided by J.J. Ramberg, entrepreneur, author, and former MSNBC anchor. Please note, views expressed here belong to the guests interviewed and do not necessarily reflect those of American Express. Office Hours on LinkedIn Live, a series where thought leaders come to share innovative ideas and best practices for an ever-changing business climate, and it is certainly ever-changing right now. I'm your host, JJ Ramberg, and I am thrilled, truly thrilled to be here with our guest, Bonnie St. John. She's a Fortune 500 leadership expert, a best-selling author of Micro Resilience, and that does not even begin to explain how special she is. Bonnie knows a lot about achieving success against incredible odds. Despite having her right leg amputated at the age of five, she became the first African-American to ever win medals in a Winter Olympics competition. She took home a silver and two bronze medals at the 1984 Winter Paralympics in Innsbruck, Austria. After her success at the Olympics, Bonnie graduated from Harvard, earned a Rhodes Scholarship, and launched a successful career, first in sales at IBM, and then as a corporate consultant. Her leadership has been recognized by three U.S. presidents. She's been hailed as one of the five most inspiring women in America by NBC Nightly News. Her wisdom has been printed on millions of Starbucks coffee, coffee cups. And her portrait hangs in the main hall of Trinity College, Oxford, where she is a distinguished alumna. In light of all these impressive accomplishments, I am so excited to have Bonnie here today. She's going to talk to us about what is arguably the most relevant leadership skill today, resilience. Be ready to take notes as she is going to share some small but really powerful adjustments that teams can make to back quickly in the face of adversity. Thank you to everyone in the audience for joining. For those of you watching us live, I encourage you to submit your own questions for Bonnie in the comments section throughout the conversation. I will try to get to as many as I can. Bonnie, welcome to Office Hours. Thank you, JJ. It's so great to be able to drop by your house and hang out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome to my dining room. Bonnie, I have to admit to the audience, you and I already know each other, and your interview was so incredibly inspiring to me last time that I have taken my three children out of school today so that they can listen to this talk. Hi, children. Actually, I did get to meet them briefly before. Yeah, and you've got your medals to show them. All right, let's just get right to it because I know your story so well, but a lot of people out there may not know it. So just talk to me about what resilience means to you, given your background. Well, one of the things I'm known for is when I went to the Paralympics in Innsbruck, Austria, I was in the slalom, giant slalom and downhill, but the slalom was the first race and I actually fell down in the second run near the finish line, got up and still finished and won the bronze medal. And so I had to be very resilient at the Paralympics in order to win. Uh, you feel when you fall, you feel like you've lost, uh, but it turned out I was racing against other women on one leg. A lot of them also fell and got up and got over the finish line. And so being able to get up the fastest turned out to be the winning the winning edge. So but it wasn't, I was gonna say though, it wasn't just at the Paralympics though. All my life I've had to be resilient because I lost my leg when I was five years old. I had to learn how to walk again. I had to do a lot of therapy and rehab. And, you know, I was a little kid. I was crying. It was tough. I had to be away from my family in the hospital. But to be able to not only be physically resilient, but to have a resilient attitude, even to be able to imagine that I might be able to be an athlete was, was you know, crazy talk. <laughs> uh, back when I was little, not many people with disabilities did sports. Also, I'm black and I went into skiing. I'm actually the first African-American to win a Winter Olympic or Paralympic medal. 
and I'm from San Diego, there was no snow. And if it's not hard enough to have one leg and no snow, my family had no money. It's really hard to ski with no money. <laughs> so is this something, I mean, it is credible, all of those things, right? You're listing like you had to overcome obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Is this something that you're born with? And you've done, I just want to make it clear to everyone that you've done so much research on this. So this is not just about your own experience, but you have everything backed up by neuroscience and, and all kinds of other research. So from what you've learned and what you've experienced, is this something that you're born with? Because I can imagine the audience out there is just saying, okay, Bonnie St. John is someone extraordinary. I can't be like her. I'm just not made up that way. You know, it's interesting you say that too, because I get that reaction a lot. It's like, you know, oh my gosh, you've done all this. But yes, there is a difference. Some people are born more resilient than others. In the, the psychology research, they call it hardiness. But, you know, in the same way, some people are going to be basketball stars or, or football stars. Some people are just naturally very athletic, but it doesn't mean we can't all go to the gym and get stronger. You know, we can all benefit by becoming more resilient, whether you naturally have a lot or you naturally have a little, we can all actually improve that and get better at resilience. I like to tell parents, go online and go on YouTube and look up the Paralympics with your kids and some, you know, wheelchair basketball. They, they hit each other's chairs, they flip the chairs over, and the able-bodied rep just walks by. He's like, pick up your own wheelchair. It's actually against the rules for them to turn over the wheelchairs. But, but for kids to see that you can find your greatness, you can be world-class even if you're not perfect. You know, kids get so hung up with social media today too, and, and we all do with wanting to be perfect or feeling like it'll never work, but we can get more resilient. We can be great even though life can be messy. And life is particularly messy for a lot of people right now. And so, you know, again, I feel like people might be out there listening and saying, okay, but my life is just so hard. It's not resilience that I need right now. It is, I need customers right now, right? That's not about resilience. I need someone to buy my product. Yeah, but getting more resilient, we need the energy and the focus and drive to keep finding creative new ways to do things. My husband's from Allentown, Pennsylvania, and there's this chocolate shop there that, you know, it's like little old ladies in hairnets making chocolate. And he got uh, a, an email saying, you know, hey, you should buy more chocolate from your hometown. The, somehow this, this little shop is pivoting to be doing online marketing, you know? And so for us to be resilient, we have to have the energy focus and drive to be able to do that. And, and that's what the research on micro resilience is, is, is about is how do we, find small ways to continually restore that energy so we can be creative despite all the things that are pulling at us right now. And the truth is we have no choice, right? You cannot throw in the towel and hide under the covers. You have, you have to keep moving on. We absolutely do. And, uh, there was some research by Jim Lair about tennis players and why certain tennis players always win. Like if you're watching the U.S. Open or Wimbledon, you know, there's all the 100 players that are world class, but they're reporting on a handful of names. And he was studying to see, you know, what puts you in that class of the best of the best? And of course, you know, some people serve 90 miles an hour or run faster than others. You know, people have different skills, but he couldn't find a skill that sort of puts you in that group until he started looking at what they did between the points and the little things they were doing to get more focus, energy, and drive in the 20 or 30 seconds between volleys, he found that there was a pattern. Those at the top were able to do that quickly and go into the next point strong. And it was just little things like put your racket in your other hand, don't get distracted. They, their heart rate got back to a better place faster. They He interviewed what they were thinking about and they had positive ways of, of thinking that could pull them into the next point strong. So finding these tiny ways to re-energize ourselves can make all the difference. You know, you have two tennis players that are playing that have the same world-class skills, but if one's rejuvenating themselves along the way, by the end of the match, one of them is going to look like they're way better than the other. You know, I spent um, over a decade interviewing entrepreneurs and, and really successful business people. And I get the question so often, what is the one similar trait that all these people have? And my answer is, 
you know, it's not what school you went to or how much money you had or who your connections are. It is, can you deal with failure? And so do you, again, not hide under the covers, but you say, okay, that was awful and the future looks bleak, but how am I going to go forward in this? And that's resilience. So you mentioned already micro resilience. And for people who've never heard that term before, can you just define it? Well, it's little tiny hacks that you can do that are going to help you regain that focus, drive, and energy. And, and as you mentioned earlier, I not only looked at my own experience, but I was researching psychology, uh, physiology, neuroscience, and finding these evidence-based small things that make a big difference. So, so just to give you an idea of what, what this means, when you think about exercise, you know, most of it go, oh yeah, exercise is great, and, and it does help you. You can exercise three times a week, and you go to a gym, you wear your spandex, you get your trainer, you know. Uh, actually, now we're probably all exercising to videos, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different thing. Um, by the way, we're all only wearing, you know, spandex all the time. <laughs> I live in La Vida spandex. Uh, but uh, that kind of exercise, that's what we think of as macro resilience. So we coined the term macro resilience to talk about things you do as a habit, and it helps you, and, and you do it on a regular basis micro resilience, we were focusing on little things that help you immediately on the same day. So with exercise, there's research that shows a little bit of exercise, like 15 or 20 minutes of walking. There's one exercise, one study on dancing uh, can help your brain to work better. You actually access memory better. You come up with more creative ideas. You make more connections and inferences. And so when you know you have some tough work to do, you have to give a presentation or you have to write a proposal, a little bit of exercise before you do that makes you smarter and able to do it better. So that's different than exercising just for your overall health. And it, it looks different and the timing is different. So instead of you know doing it at the end of the day and wearing yourself out for an hour, 15 minutes of walking on a treadmill or you know doing a little bit of yoga or something like that before you have to do some intense work makes it work better there was let me just say one more thing about this there was a neuroscientist at nyu and she hadn't been exercising she was one of those nerds that just you know never did any exercise she got tenure and then decided you know what i'm gonna get exercise and she's an intense person so when she decided she went all in and she immediately noticed she could write her grants faster. She was doing mm. better work faster. And she was like, I'm a brain scientist. I got to research this. So she wrote a whole book on it by uh, Wendy Suzuki. Uh, so it, it's incredible is using this tactic is saying, if I have some important brain work to do, just do a little bit of exercise and then I'm going to get it done better and faster. Okay, so I want to know that you've written a whole book on this and I'm like, you know, pen and paper in hand right now. Right. When I am feeling like the world falling apart or I just cannot face another day at work or school or whatever it is, what are the little things that I can do that are suddenly going to have big differences in my life, make big differences? You know, it, again, we wrote about 20 different hacks in different areas, some for your brain, some for your attitude, some for your body, you know, all kinds of things. But, but the question you asked, I think the most appropriate one is to uh, talk about the first aid kit for your attitude. So we recommend that you, you know, you have a first aid kit in case you get a cut or a burn. You don't know when it's going to happen, but you're ready. Why not have a first aid kit for your attitude? You know, you're going to get cuts and bruises to your attitude. So why not be ready? And you can put together a bag or a box and put things in it that are going to help you turn your attitude around. So now I can't make your first aid kit. I can give you a starter kit. You know, I could come up with a few ideas and give you, but it's important for you to actually think through what is going to help me turn my attitude around when things go south. So in my first aid kit, I have a note from my mother who passed away like 10 years ago. And it, it actually has a note and a sachet. And my mother went through hard times. My mother had to walk past the, the segregated school for white kids all you know a mile to the black kids school that was all run down and had no textbooks and she went on and got an education got her phd and became an educator and made a difference for other people so when she when i look at this little note in her penmanship they practiced penmanship in school back then her beautiful handwriting that says cherish yourself you know that puts things in perspective you know maybe i'm having a bad day and 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 things are are not so great but when I think about what she went through and when she's saying, you know, cherish yourself, life is hard, but take care of yourself. 
kind of put some other things in perspective. So you have to think about what do you want to put in your first aid kit that's going to help you turn your attitude around. And I and I can you share? Well, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, can you share with us anything else that's in your first aid kit just to get us thinking about things that we could put in our own? Sure. Um, well, I was going to say, I've done this even with fourth graders. So you're like, you can do this with your team at work, but you can also do it with your family because even fourth graders get it. And, and for fourth graders, I'll often give them a blank thank you note, you know, and say, when you're having a hard day, write a thank you note to somebody else. And that will help remind you of what's, what's good and what's important. Uh, some people put pictures from a vacation or a lot of people put family pictures. Actually, when my daughter was a teenager, I put a picture of her when she was three. If you have teenagers, you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> it's, sometimes you want to remember when they were a little more cute and cuddly uh, when you're struggling. But uh, you, you, know, you can think about different things. You can put in quotes. Some people make a first aid kit on their phone. And so it can have pictures, quotes, music tracks. You know, what is going to help you turn your attitude around? And uh, my husband's favorite tip, and he's my co-author on the book, Micro Resilience, is don't just put everything like on your desk where you see it all the time. Cause you kind of, you get numb to it. You stop seeing it. So put it in a drawer, put it in a box. You can have more than one first aid kit in different places and take it out when you need it so that it has an impact on you. Does that help? What would you put in your first aid kit, JJ? Uh, I'm trying to think, God, I'm looking around my house. I have a zillion things. Um, okay, we're gonna get back to me. At the end, I'm gonna tell you what's in my first aid kit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I can I think, think of just want to say that was interesting because that is the thing is you may not know the answer immediately and that's yeah. okay. Some of it is wrestling with it or maybe you try something and you go, you know what, that wasn't really what I wanted. So let me try something else and that's okay. And you might want to refresh your first aid kit over time. So if you don't know the answer right away, that's okay. Oh, wait a minute. I want to say one more thing. Wait a minute. Let me say one yeah. more thing on that. If people want to do that as a team building activity for your team or for your family, I did a TED talk on that. And so you can use the TED talk that I did on a, a first aid kit for your attitude to explain the concept. So you can you know, send the link to your team and then say, hey, we're gonna get together on a Zoom and everybody can show us what's in their first aid kit. You know, So you can make it something, and it's great if you're the boss. If you have a small business or if you're the boss of a team, because a lot of times people expect you to cheer everybody up. And what the message is with a first aid kit is, hey, we can all be cheering ourselves up. Somebody said, did you have a bad day or did you just have a bad 10 minutes that you let ruin the rest of your day? <laughs> you know, is we can be responsible for pivoting back to a strong place. And when you have a shared vocabulary with your team or your family, people are going to start saying, hey, I put this in your I see you're having a tough day. Put this in your first aid kit or let me send you a funny picture. You know, so we, we start to have a vocabulary to talk about, hey, let's pivot our attitude here. So, Bonnie, this is so incredibly up my alley, right? I love this kind of stuff and I really believe in it, but you must get people who come to you and say, really, that's going to, that's going to change enough. So I'm looking at a, you know, cute picture of my kid or a letter, the first dollar I made or whatever it is. And that's going to change me enough so that I can deal with this, you know, pandemic and sales going down and having to find people. That's a great point, JJ, because I don't want to demean real uh, mental health issues either. That, you know, if if you have a first aid kit and somebody, you know, has their leg chopped in half, you're not gonna go, oh, let me get out my first aid kit, right? There's an appropriate level of triage for various kinds of things. And a first aid kit is not gonna deal with depression. And I know that's a little more extreme than what you ask, but I think that's very real right now is in this uh, quarantine pandemic world that we're in, mental health issues are very serious. and so. You need to go to a professional. You need to, to deal with, with what that is. Addiction issues as well. There's, there's a lot of issues that are harder to deal with at this time. And a first aid kit is not going to cut it. So, uh, so this is for when you need a small pivot on your attitude. That's great. Plus, with micro resilience, you know, there's like you said, there's 20 different hacks you can use. So we're not saying that one thing is going to solve all your problems. These are little things that make a difference in the moment and can help you lift your energy. It's not a panacea. It's not a solve of every problem. Not even close. Well, I like, I like how you keep referring back to exercise. Also because see how when you exercise, you do a little, a little, a little, a little, and there's a big change without you even realizing that it's happening. It's so great. We, uh, when we wrote the book, 
we took 30 real people and gave them the techniques and then watched them put those into practice for like three months and, and wrote about them. And prior to doing that, we had done a lot of work in companies and teams and done surveys and collected data, but we wanted sort of real people's lives so we could see what was happening to people and, and write about it. So we get sort of a three-dimensional picture of people. And it was so fun. It was It was so interesting to see what people did. There was one woman who was a workaholic and she was really intense and she was getting bad ratings as a leader because she was so tough and, and mean and negative. And she used a lot of the micro resilience techniques and it, it helped her to not just, she had a coach who said like smile more, you know, but not to just paste on things, but the, the micro resilience techniques actually helped her shift her attitude and her energy and, and change so she was getting better feedback as a leader that she was really uh, supporting her people more. But the hilarious part, JJ, is she told me she started dating. And she goes, I hadn't dated in years. And it shifted her energy so that she could be dating. And that actually happened with a number of the people we were following to the extent that somebody said to me, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm married. I better not do micro resilience. But what we say too is, <laughs> is you know, often we get so busy and frustrated and, and, you know, tense and everything that you're not dating your spouse. So even if you're married, Micro resilience can help you to have more energy, focus, and drive not only at work, but to have more energy to give to in your relationship and with your kids, you know, and in your to yourself even. And so that that idea that she started dating, it's like you can start dating your husband, you know, you can start dating yourself a little bit, you know, and and just have that that positive energy in in home as well as work. Well, it makes perfect sense, right? Because when you have a negative outlook or on life and you are not resilient, you just have a cloud hanging over you that affects everything you do, right? And so if you can kind of change your mindset, then it opens up. And as you say, you have more time for things. You've given us one technique, but you talk about 20 of them. So I want to get more of them for our audience so that we know where to start. You also mentioned how you've worked with tons of corporations. So let's just talk about some that you that you highlight when you're coaching corporations or CEOs. So uh, brain fatigue is a big thing in the midst of everything we're going through. And we're all stretched really thin. thin. Our, our brains weren't meant for so much change, too, that that is actually very tiring. But as somebody said, the only person who really likes change is a wet baby. <laughs> uh, but it's it's our brains try to optimize things and 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 try to get comfortable and and we can't get comfortable in this world. There's so much multitasking going on too. We get interrupted. We might be working from home and your kids are going to school from home and your spouse and you know there's there's just so much going on right now. It's it's really exhausting for our brains. Multitasking, they say when you're getting interrupted all the time, it's like losing 10 points on your IQ or like working if you've lost a night's sleep. Uh my one of my favorite quotes is they say you don't you don't, multitasking is not a problem as long as you don't need quality, accuracy, or innovation. <laughs> so like folding the laundry in front of TV is fine, but, uh, but for a lot of us, we need to focus on writing a proposal or doing research or finding new clients or pivoting the way we serve people in this, this time. So we need to focus. And so how do you carve that out? And what we talk about is the hack we, we offer is zones, is can you create zones of focus? You know, some people say, well, don't answer your email, you know, answer your email twice a day. I can't do that. But you can carve out sort of islands in your day to say, I'm going to focus during this time. And then you need to communicate with your team and communicate with your family about, you know what, I'm trying to carve out these times of focus. Here's what I'm going to do and, and, and help me out. Now, there might be emergencies where they're going to have to interrupt you. So communicating with your team or your family about, don't interrupt me at this time unless this happens that helps you to focus, right? Because then you know, well, everything must be okay because nobody interrupted me. So, um, and you can say how they interrupt you. Should they text you? You know, email me if it's not an emergency, but text me if it's an emergency. So you come up, you discuss with your people, how can I get the focus I need? And they'll probably be happy because they want to get focused too. And they, you know, if we're all interrupting each other constantly all the time, nobody can focus and nobody can get things done. And teams do it in different ways. Some people, some teams say, Hey, let's all try to focus from, you know, nine to 11 every day in this time zone. And then we'll have our other meetings at another time or this day a week. Uh, we're going to focus more in a hospital. The nurse who gives out medicine 
if she's getting interrupted all the time, she's going to make mistakes. People could die, right? So in one hospital, they put a sash on the nurse who's dispensing medicine as a signal that she should not be interrupted. You know, so a zone can be a place that you go to or a time of day that you set aside. But, it, you know, in some cases, like with that nurse, it, it's, it's she's a walking zone. So they put a sash on her. So getting creative with your team about how do I set aside the time to focus and how do you, you know, how do we support each other in getting that focus time we need? And for some people, it might be twice a day. For some people, it might only be twice a week. You know, I can't, I don't know how much you can carve out, but being intentional about when are you multitasking and when are you not? People say it's it's like having more time and you get things done faster. You get things done better. So it strengthens your brain. So a little exercise can strengthen your brain. Setting up zones and communicating about them can strengthen your brain. Uh, so, so different hacks for different things. You can strengthen your attitude. You can strengthen your brain. Uh, purpose is another one. Strengthen your yeah, purpose. Talk about, yeah, talk about that. So really important, really important. Yes. So we're, we're talking about, you know, how do we have more energy focus and drive given all the craziness going on and tapping into your sense of purpose can make such a difference too. And some people have a lot of purpose in their work, like, you know, a nurse or, or a policeman, uh, and some people may feel like you don't have as much pur purpose, you know, if you're if you're just doing routine tasks or or something. But anybody can find purpose in their work. There was a, a taxi driver who made more money than the other taxi drivers on the same route because he put so much into his taxi. He uh, he had sodas in a in a cooler and he had music. He asked the passenger, what kind of music do you want to listen to? You know, he's picking up people at the airport. And he gave them such a great ride, he got much bigger tips. So you can put purpose into anything that you do. Uh, it's what you want to do is think about what is it that gives you purpose in your work. Sometimes it's it's mentoring other people. Sometimes it's serving the customers. And two people can be doing the same job and getting their purpose in a different way too. So thinking about how do you do that, and then what the hack we give people is what's a touchstone for your purpose. What's something that you can use to remind you on a regular basis of your purpose? You could put a picture on a screensaver on your computer. One leader gave those stress balls to everybody on the team and then have them write. And you could do this. You could get everybody together in a Zoom and, you know, send mail them the stretch ball, the, the squeezy balls. And then everybody wrote a word that reminded them of their purpose. What is it that feeds you? What is it you're passionate about? And put it on the stress ball so you can squeeze the stress ball and remind yourself of your purpose. Um, so having a I love, helpful. Yeah, and I love how you mentioned everyone has a different purpose, right? So let's just say you make widgets and you don't actually care that much about the widgets, but you love mentoring people, as you said, or you love the ability uh, to yeah, customer service, you love making people happy, whatever it is, um, that is your purpose. And I think Thanks. that it, it's really important that it's not necessarily the output of your company or your schoolwork for my kids are out there, right? But the bigger picture, what is it that you care in the big picture about what you're doing? Well, and I, I'm a small business owner myself too. And I'm really proud of the fact that we've been able to keep everybody that we had on payroll at the beginning of this, we've been able to keep everybody employed and working. We've actually grown our business a little bit because we do a lot of virtual training. And so um, you know, yeah, I'm really proud of the the people we employ and helping support their families too. You know, we do a lot of leadership training, so I'm proud of the leadership training we deliver. But you know, I'm also proud of being able to support families in a tough time. What do you see? You've worked with a lot of people and and taught them your micro resilience hacks. And by the way, we're not done with them. I want to get all of them before we're done here. So we've got all the tools in our own toolbox, but. For people who you have worked with, what changes have you seen? That's a great question, and you know, it was it was so fun to to put take the people, the real life examples that we used in the book, and really get to know those people and sort of find out what was happening over time, not just sort of go into a company and leave, but but to really follow them. And um, what they said, this is so neat, is is they said a lot of times when you get a new self help method, you know you're trying to change somebody and you're gonna change them into a new person. They said, you know, this isn't changing me. This is helping me to be more me. 
And if you think about it, when you're tired and frustrated and exhausted and distracted, you're not the person you want to be. You're not the person you know how to be. You're not the person you like. <laughs> and so having a lot of these little hacks that just give you more energy, focus, and drive at work and at home, you become more you. One, one person, she said, uh, imagine a dog that gets all muddy and, and it has little sticks and burrs in the fur and, you know, it's just really uncomfortable. Take that dog and wash it off and clean it and brush it and it's shiny and fluffy and happy. And she goes, that's the way I feel by doing all these micro resilience hacks. <laughs> I think we can all relate. I mean, we've all been in situations where we go to bed that night and just think, oh, I can't believe I was acting that way. And if I saw someone else act that way, I'd be and so why did I do that? But I just couldn't help myself in the minute, right? Because I was distracted, thinking, worried about something else. And so you got to catch yourself before that happens. That's interesting because uh, the, the technical term for that is an amygdala hijack, is there's a, a place in your brain that fires off a, a, a set of hormones, adrenaline and, and cortisol and things when you feel threatened. When something's happening now, I live in the country. So if I'm driving down the road and a deer jumps in front of my car, I react. You know, I don't think you just react. And that's that amygdala hijack. It's very healthy when you're trying to avoid a deer. But a lot of times at work or with our families, when we're frazzled or stressed or, you know, and you get angry and you lose, you lose your temper. It's uh, it's one of those reactions that you're not thinking. So the amygdala hijack is when you feel like you're in trouble your your brain doesn't think it just reacts because if, if you were in danger you'd have to run or you'd have to hit somebody or something like that so your brain's trying to help you but it isn't what you need in that moment so while we're all under so much stress understanding the amygdala hijack recognizing and it's you described it perfectly you know is sometimes we just get upset we say something we regret we do something we regret when you see that starting to happen and you, you start to, I almost think of it like a locomotive is picking up steam and you're starting to get upset or angry. If you can recognize that pattern, there's things you can do about it. So in the book, we, we talk about three different hacks for that. But one really simple one comes from research out of UCLA. Matt Lieberman studied the way the blood flows in the brain when stuff like that's happening. And this is so simple. He said, if you just put words on how you're feeling, you can slow down that locomotive. You can slow down that, that runaway process that's happening and, and pull yourself back to being in your best mind, in your best self. So putting words on it. So um, if you were at Thanksgiving dinner, for example, and you know Uncle Charlie is starting to say something that's going to make you fly off the handle, if you notice it, and you start thinking, you know, what am I feeling? Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling uh, helpless? Am I feeling betrayed? You know, just putting words, you don't have to say it out loud, just in your own head, thinking, you know, what am I feeling? By putting words on it, you're pulling yourself back into your, your advanced mind instead of your primitive mind. And you're, you're more likely to stay in the driver's seat. And you can even, if you think, you know, I'm feeling helpless or I'm feeling angry, you can say, you know what, but I want to feel compassionate towards Uncle Charlie. <laughs> you know, you can, you can, once you're conscious of it and not getting swept away by it, you can start to change it. So before you get to Thanksgiving dinner, you could practice using this technique. Uh, another one is um, positive smells, which should be easy at Thanksgiving too. Go, go ahead, get into the that though, but I, as as you're talking about things, I'm thinking about how I will enact them in my own life, right? And so I'm going back to a conference call I had with my team a couple of months ago, where I was just getting so annoyed, and somebody's Zoom wasn't working, and I was a little bit stressed about something at work, and just acted in a way that I am not proud of, right? Just annoyed, and someone else on the team was like, "Slow your roll, JJ," right? <laughs> Don't don't fly off the handle, which is something I usually don't do. But I think you are right that what I was so frustrated about was, yes, the thing that was happening in the minute it was bigger picture. And to just take a beat and say, you're frustrated or that person's Zoom is not working and you're really annoyed with them, takes it out of the immediate reaction. And tell me if I'm right about this. I don't have the neuroscience terms right. Takes me out of the immediate moment right? So gets me out of that. I can get some perspective on what just has happened. And I stop myself from acting in a way that will make me unhappy for the next few hours. 
That's a great description. But I think what's helpful to know too is this isn't your imagination. There is a physiological process underneath what's happening there. So when you start to get frustrated in that situation, your body's reacting as if somebody's out to kill you. And, and, and they said, when somebody comes up to you and says, I have some feedback for you, your brain, the blood in your brain flows as if you're in a dark alley at night and you hear footsteps behind you, you know? So your, your primitive brain is processing some of the things that happen to you as if they're life and death, not getting invited to a meeting where important decisions are making, being made that you think you should have been invited to. The, the blood flow in your brain is as if you're starving to death. So your, your primitive brain is acting as if somebody's trying to kill you when they're really not. And so what you're doing is not just saying, you know, oh, I'm going to be more mature. I'm going to step back. You're actually helping your body to change the, the reaction so that you have access to your mature brain. Your, your body's trying to cut off access to your mature brain because it thinks you need to get in a fight. <laughs> so I love the neuroscience research. You are I love it. Yeah, you're not just being cute. You are literally shifting your physiological uh, reactions so that you're better supported for what you're trying to do. So, Bonnie, and I will get to the smells in a second, but if we do all of these hacks that you have around micro resilience, right? I stop myself before I blow off the handle. I have my toolkit, um, my attitude toolkit, and, and many more of the things that you're going to talk about later on. Is my, am I getting better at this or is it like I'm starting over each time? Oh no, you can definitely get better at this. You can create habits around doing this. And, and that's a great point because these things are so easy to do. They're so easy to forget to do too. And you can imagine some mm -hmm. of the things we're describing, you know, in the moment when you're losing your, your handle, you know, are you really going to go, oh yeah, let me, <laughs> let me think of a word. <laughs> so it's practice is really helpful. And one way to do that, uh, that, one of the doctors that we put through the training gave me this idea. He said, he took his phone and he programmed in alarms several times a day and he didn't put sound on them. So they were silent alarms where with a name. So a word would pop up on the screen of his phone. So it, he didn't want to upset patients when he was meeting with patients. But so when this popped up, he would finish with a patient, stop, take a break and, and do some of these hacks. So he would uh, have several hacks. So what he would do is like have water, have a healthy snack and listen to some Broadway show tunes because he liked Broadway show tunes. So he would have little rejuvenating moments throughout the day when he would pull his energy focus and drive back together. But having those reminders helped him to do it. And you could do that, but then change it up. So, you know, have one set of reminders that remind you to do certain things and then the next week change them so that you practice different things. But getting that practice when things are not as stressful is gonna really help you to be able to do it better when you are under more pressure too. And then does it work faster? So once you get used to it, right? Just like I lift a barbell and then, you know, after I've done it for a month, I can lift a heavier one. And then the heavier one is such that now perhaps whatever I, my hacks are, it's gonna take me a while to change my attitude, but later on, it'll be quicker to change it. Or frankly, maybe I don't need the hacks anymore because I've already trained myself to be more resilient. Well, if you've trained yourself to be more resilient, I would argue you are still using the hacks. You've just built it into a habit, which is really, really good. The uh, other thing that I think really helps to make it stickier, you can program in reminders, but I think the other thing is engaging the people around you because it is hard to do this by yourself. I, I have such a drive yourself until you drop mentality. You know, I'm used to pushing myself really hard. After my first book tour, I was sick for six weeks because I pushed myself so hard. I just fell over and got sick. Micro resilience is different. It's about doing these little things so that you can work really hard without dropping. So drive yourself until you drop isn't enough. You can actually do more if you're doing these little sustainment things. So engaging your family in, uh, hey, how can we all do this together or engaging your team, you're going to get more support for changing your your habits and for doing this on a regular basis. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier with the first aid kit, you're teaching your team that, hey, the boss doesn't have to keep everybody happy. We can be keeping ourselves happy. We can be helping each other to stay happier. Uh, reminders to focus, you know, like, hey, how can we all stop interrupting each other so much? When when you engage everybody in the conversation about micro resilience, 
it doesn't have to just come from the boss. It can come from anyone to say, hey, we could do this better. Hey, we could have more focus. Hey, we could have more energy. And 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 so it's it's much stickier when you're doing it together. Do you think you were obviously born with this? And we have a bunch of questions from the audience. So after this one, I'm going to get to those. Do you think you do these things or did them intrinsically without even realizing what you were doing, right? When you got back up, when you were skiing, when you nobody around you was a skier, no one who looked like you was a skier, et cetera, et cetera. Were you doing these things without even realizing it? Well, some yes and some no. Um, my mother was somebody who, as I said, had a lot of challenges in her life. And she, she um, struggled with positivity. And so she did conscious things to try to be more positive. And she took me to motivational speakers when I was 12. And, and so I think I learned from her to try to be more intentional about building these muscles to do this. But some things I'm better at than others. And that's a really important point, too, because I've done this with big groups where we sort of ask, you know, which comes easiest or which comes hardest. So there's five different areas that we look at in the book. And it's different. You know, it's not the same for everybody, what's hardest. And so um, if you are really good at, you know, eating a balanced, new, you know, keeping your blood sugar even and staying hydrated, but you're terrible at focus, you know, investing in some of these things that help your brain power work are going to make a huge difference for you. So investing in the area that you're the furthest behind in is going to bring everything up. It's I, I, Here's a metaphor, it's like a stool. If you have a, a three-legged stool, but one of the legs is shorter than all the others, the chair's not gonna work very well, you know? But if you can bring up some of your weaker areas, it's like everything goes up. I imagine it's also important to remember every day is a new day. So don't beat yourself up over what happened yesterday, right? Well, you can still be using these hacks today. I was gonna say, that's the beauty of micro resilience is you, it's the same day benefit. So you do something and you get an immediate benefit from it. Now that doesn't mean that macro resilience isn't important, it is. You know, We should get enough sleep, we should eat right, we should exercise on a regular basis. But sometimes if you have a bad day, you know, you get to the end of the day and you just want a beer and a pizza and lay in front of the TV, you know. But if you were able to take a bad day and make it less draining and less exhausting and just not be so affected by it, you could still feel like, hey, I'm going to get some exercise and be nice to my family, you know. Uh, so having micro resilience can help you to do more macro resilience. And certainly macro resilience can help you with the micro as well. So they they do feed each other. But but the immediate gratification from micro resilience makes it fun and easy. And and a lot of times it's things people don't know. It's science based, but but you don't you don't know it. So sorry, you asked, do I do these things naturally? And some of them I do. Some of them I don't. And I think that's true for most people. Some things you, you might do naturally, some things you don't. Okay, questions from the audience. How do you recommend someone build resilience if they feel too fatigued to even start? What's a good first step? This is what, this is your thing. You know, it just reminds me of the time. And so I said the first time I did a book tour, uh, I got really exhausted and I got really sick. Uh, there was another book tour I did. I think it was like two books back where I just got burnt out. I got like spiritually burnt out by not just physically, and it took me a while to recover. So if you're if you're in that place, if you're either physically burnt out or spiritually burnt out, you're gonna have to take care of yourself. And again, that may not be a micro resilience issue. Uh, you, you're gonna need some some real rest and, and real care to get better. Now, you can use micro resilience hacks to help you along the way, maybe to help you get uh, enough strength to just get the the rest you need. There's an example in the book uh, about a woman who has cancer and has to go through chemotherapy. And again, micro-resilience is not gonna solve your cancer problem. You need to go to a doctor, you need to get chemotherapy. But she used micro-resilience hacks while she was going through chemotherapy just to keep her spirits up, keep her physical energy up, you know, to, to keep doing, uh, just stay on track. And it's a really interesting story. So if you're going through like serious burnout, Maybe you need to see a therapist, you know, maybe you need to get a lot of sleep, you know, maybe you need to do some real things to get better, but maybe micro resilience can, can just help you along the way. It's not going to solve it for you, but it could make it easier to do the work you need to do. Does that yeah, answer I like question? The, it, it did, but it, I like this. It, it is in the moment. You're just feeling down. What is something I can just do? What's a tool in my toolbox to shift this attitude around, which then might get me to go do some of the bigger things. All right, we have another uh, question here. 
Where do you get your inspiration from and how do you stay motivated? Wow. Um, I talked a little bit about just having a first aid kit and things like uh, my mother's wisdom inspires me. Chocolate <laughs> inspires me sometimes. I am a person of faith. So uh, for me, Bible quotes uh, and songs can be very inspiring too. My, my family, um, so faith, family. Um, my purpose in my work too is, is I help a lot of women in leadership at big companies and being able to make a difference. Uh, we just had a graduation before this and it's virtual, you know, and, and people were talking about, we had several speakers at the graduation talk about what it had meant to them and, and the changes they were able to make and the doors they were able to open in their career. And so that feeds, that feeds me. So purpose, uh, purpose, family, faith, all those things feed me. Did I answer the question? Is that the right? You did. You did. But I, I have a follow-up for it, which is, is Mike Resilience a cure-all in the moment? Big picture, right? You have to do all kinds of other things. But, right, if I do something like this, right, I look at my attitude um, first aid kit or I talk with my team or I don't multi multitask, if I take the time to do that, will it fix me up in the, at least in the moment every time? Gosh, I, I don't know if anything I can guarantee any time. <laughs> it will always work. Um, I think right. the more you build up these habits, the more it can help you and push you forward. And, and it can make a difference. And the cumulative effect of a lot of little things can make a big difference. Uh, can I guarantee that any moment I can fix your life? I don't think so. You know, um, I do want to say about purpose, too. This is this is kind of interesting is in all the other areas, we have quick hacks that help you immediately. What we found when we worked with people on purpose is that a lot of people are not very clear about their purpose at all. And so in the book, we put several different exercises to help you get clearer about your purpose. You know, and you could be a nurse, you're helping people every day, but what is it that's unique to you about why you're a nurse and what your purpose is? So we have these exercises. One is called values detective, where you, you, you look at your values with the spirit of a detective and you can do it with a partner. It's really fun. One of them is life goals. You know, what is, what is it you really hope you'll achieve by the end of your life? And there's some fun exercises that just help you drill into getting clearer about your purpose. And then once you do that, then it's easier to, to give yourself these touchstones or these little hacks you can do. But it's hard to do little hacks that reinforce your purpose if you don't really know what it is. So that was the one area out of all the five uh, frameworks that we have in the book where it was kind of important to, to do some macro work in order to be able to do the micro work. So those are fun things so that you can do with a friend or over coffee or with your family uh, and, and, and get stronger in your sense of purpose. And, and, and especially now with everything that's going on, I think that could be really helpful. I do too. I love it. All right. I'm going to end um, one with one last question, which was a lot of people who you have worked with, um, ambitious people, resilient people, have a nightstand full of books. And I think we can get inspired uh, by what other people are reading and what other people are thinking about as they are inspired by those too. So can you give us some examples of things we should be thinking about or reading? So in addition to micro resilience, my book on resilience, um, I've got some things on my desk right here. This is a friend of mine just came out with this book is five disciplines of inclusive leaders by Andreas Tapia. And uh, he's it's it's a great book about being inclusive and bringing everybody along with everything we're dealing with with the social justice movement and uh, you know, raising awareness about differences in in uh, race and, and ethnicity and, and immigrants. Uh, it's a it's a great way for leaders to hone their skills on on doing that. Um, I'm going to be starting a podcast soon, and I definitely want to interview him on that. Another one, um, and uh, I'm going to be assigning some of these books in my courses too. Is "Good Is Not Enough" by Keith Weish. He's now a senior executive at uh, Walmart, and uh, he gives a lot of great advice. You know, it's this is is about, you know, how do bosses help the environment to be better? But this is also until you're in a perfect environment, how do you get ahead? How do you navigate an imperfect environment? So both, you know, we need both sides. We need leaders to help make a better, more inclusive environment. But individual people need to also figure out how to get ahead, too. 
That's fantastic. I'm going to go get both of those. What I want to just point out, because we're at the end, the thing that I'm taking the most out of this conversation is the neuroscience around this, right? These are not just kind of hokey, self-helpy hacks, right? Because that, that might help you or might not help you, but it actually makes a difference in your brain, right? Things that you have to get control over because it's your brain and you don't have control over it. And that's what I particularly love about what you're doing, Bonnie. Thank you. And I think when you understand that, you sort of forgive yourself because it's not your fault that we're wired that way, right? And it just, it's yep. not something that's wrong with you. Uh, it's just something we can manage better and be less exhausted. So why not? Can I, can I just leave people with one more thought too? Absolutely. You can leave them with one of, two. <laughs> one of my great mentors was Warren Witherell, and he was a ski coach. And uh, he gave me a full scholarship to train at a ski racing academy in Vermont, changed my life, helped me to become a champion. Uh, 20 years later, I met up with him again in Colorado. He asked me to come out and speak at a graduation for a ski training school in Colorado where he was. And, you know, when I was 17, I was asking him, how do I wax my skis? But 20 years later, I wanted to know, how did you build so many champions? I mean, he was in the Hall of Fame for water skiing as a water skiing coach for colleges, as well as for snow skiing. He changed the technology of how we stand on our skis. He helped the U.S. to become more competitive vis-a-vis -vis Europe in alpine skiing. You know, he was a game changer and, an, and a champion builder. And so I was really interested as an adult, like how, how do you do that? How do you help so many people? How do you bring out the best in so many people? And I just wanna leave everybody with one thought that Warren Witherell shared. He said, Bonnie, I never built champions one at a time. I created communities of champions because when you have a bunch of people trying to push each other, sharing best ideas, cheering for each other's success, everybody goes further. So you've got a community of champions here in the business class, uh, JJ, but I wanna also encourage people to create communities of champions around this resilience. So getting your family to be using these micro resilience hacks, getting your team at work to be doing this together, you create a community of champions and you're all gonna be less exhausted, more dynamic, able to turn some of the crazy stuff that's happening this year into bigger and greater success for all of you. I love that. That is a perfect way to end. We do it at home. We should be doing it at work. And everyone should go buy your book because you told us some of the hacks, but you have a whole book full of them. So everyone can find some that work for them. Bonnie, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really, really appreciate it. It was so fun for me. So great to see you, JJ. And thanks for inviting me into your house with all your friends and your kids. It was great to meet your kids. I hope they learned a lot today, too. And for all of you out there in the audience, we really appreciate your time for tuning in today. I hope you guys all learned as much from this dialogue as I have. For more office hours and business insights, please visit us at AmericanExpress.com slash business class. Thanks for listening to Office Hours, part of Business Class from American Express. You can find a schedule of upcoming live episodes and learn more about Business Class from American Express by visiting amex.co slash office hours. That's amex.co slash office hours. Looking for new ways to keep up with the latest business trends and insights? Business Class from American Express is a new educational resource to help today's business leaders adapt to the current economic environment. To view compelling stories, timely tips, and inspiring insights from industry experts, leaders, and street-savvy entrepreneurs, visit amex.co slash business class.